17 weeks we went through this Sermon on the Mount and got through it a couple weeks ago. But I just didn't like the number 17. So we're going to do 20. <laughs> but I thought it'd be actually good to maybe just do some summary of what, what we've learned. Because you, you go that many weeks ago and sometimes we forget. It's easy to do. If you want to follow along, we're going to be at the end of chapter 7 there in Matthew for a little bit. But we'll mostly be using other texts to kind of look through what we learned here. Um, it's a very important, obviously, part of Scripture because you know, it's, it's try he's teaching, obviously. That's what this whole thing is. It's all red letter. Um, but who is the teacher? That's kind of the question you, you have to ask. It's what the question at the end, if you look uh, at the Sermon on the Mount, that's what they're asking. Uh, and you get this, we talked about this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount when we went through this. You, know, you get these ideas that uh, people say, well, I just follow the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I take it as truth, and I'm going to follow that. Um, here we have the original Jesus. You know, there's just ethics, how are we supposed to live? And, you know, no dogma, which is just kind of deep doctrine. Um, Jesus is a great moral teacher, uh, which I, I think he is, but is that all he is? That's uh, Famously, Gandhi has said that. Um, if you know, he was obviously not a Christian, but a Hindu, but he did try to follow the Sermon on the Mount, and Hinduism is that way. It kind of morphs other teachers into it. But uh, with all due respect to Gandhi, I don't think he really read it as closely as maybe Jesus intended. Uh, this comes pretty early in his ministry. It is teaching about how we're supposed to be. But within it, and we went through that, there's more to this than just, you know, what am I supposed to do? That's not Christianity uh, at all, really. It's not just about a set of rules. You know, what's really the difference between Christianity and other religions it's a difference all the time. It's really, what's the question? If I ask a question to the children in the children's sermon 70% of the time what's the right answer yeah that's the difference you know Christianity is about a person and then what did he say not how do I follow rules it never was uh, that way even in the old covenant the Judaism is really not about that either so yeah he's a great moral teacher but that's not all he is he never intended it that way so this is a popular concept it's mistaken um First of all, the view of the teacher. We just take him as a teacher only. And we look, if you look through the Gospel of Matthew, it's actually more overt in the Gospel of Mark. Really, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, what, what happens is it's pretty much Mark, John Mark, associate of both Peter and Paul um, and Barnabas, writing down pretty much Peter's ideas about how they saw Jesus as the ministry went on. You know, first they call him teacher or rabbi or master. And then eventually they start calling him Messiah. So they start figuring out. And then they're calling him Lord, and that's not just, it gets deeper and deeper. And then they eventually start calling him God, you know, Son of God. So it takes time for the change to fall on the meter for them. Um, and I think one of the things we have to be careful of, especially in evangelical churches, is yes, you're, you're, the time when you believe is wonderful, whenever that is. I mean, great. I'm glad you started. Um, but Remember when you're talking to other people about the gospel, it, it sometimes it takes time. You know, Jesus didn't come on the scene and say, hey, follow me. Here's some rules. I'm out of here. You know, two and a half minute ministry and we're done. You know, he spent three and a half years with these guys. And as you read the gospels, they were, they struggled. And he let them struggle. Well, let people struggle a little bit. Uh, and then the presentation of the teaching, you know, how it's, it's, it's sometimes, well, if we just remember this, everything else is okay. But we can't drive a wedge 
between the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount and the Jesus of the remainder of the New Testament. Uh, how did Paul put it to Timothy in his second letter? You know, all Scripture is God-breathed, not just the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> so it's important, but it's not the only thing. And you see this at the end. You know, something's going on here. There's something about this teacher. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. So that's kind of our key. What struck the first hearers of Jesus' sermon was his authority. And we'll look at what that is. He's, uh, he's got authority that others don't. So the next three weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount and kind of try to figure out from it who is this Jesus uh, and remind ourselves. So today we're going to look at his authority as teacher and as judge. Uh, next week we'll look at his authority as Lord and Savior and then finally we'll look at his authority as Son of God and as God um, I remember reading a, a, a book uh, that talked about World War II about you'd have these medics uh, and, uh, and the medics often would sometimes take chaplains with them and I'm like you know I don't know if I'd want to sign up for that work but on the, on the battlefield you know, they would take, they would go and, you know, you would be there to talk to the wounded people in the foxholes and all that. And there's one story of a chaplain that goes in and this, this kid, you know, 18, 19 year old kid is bleeding and it looks like he's probably not going to make it. And he looks at the chaplain and he said, tell me, is, is Jesus like God? And what a thing to ask at the end of your life, you know. And, and, and of course, the chaplain just affirmed, yes, yes. In fact, if you want to know what God's like, you let Jesus take you by the hand and show you. But it shows you that was back in, in the 40s. Um, but we're, we're, why are we, why is that such a question, you know? Why is it such a question that he somehow is not? You know, do we, where are we getting this stuff from? It's not coming directly from his teachings, and we'll see that as we get into week three. So his authority is teacher. He, the crowds are amazed. You get that word a lot, you know. I once in a while, you know, hit at least a double, and we get a good sermon. <laughs> and people will say, hey, good job, you know. And I always say the same thing, and I, I, we were taught to say this. And I think it's a good thing to say because, you know, you don't want to have false humility, but you, you don't, don't want to get cocky either. Uh, but I always say I have got, I've, I've really got good material. And that's kind of what you want, you know, obviously, you know, if you, if people point to the pastor, we got problems, you know. Um, but if they're, if you're pointing people to Jesus, then we're okay. You know, so, but I don't remember anybody coming out of that sermon and saying, you know, I was just amazed. That was so good. It's just like, you know, th for those of you who stay awake, you're like, well, it wasn't that bad. That wasn't too bad. It's like, you know, why do we crank the air? So you stay up, stay awake, you know, keep it cold in here in the winter. Well, no, we don't. We try to keep you warm. But they were amazed at what he was teaching, how, what the quality was and the way he taught. I don't know, I think I've told you guys this, if you're in a Bible study, one of the things, and I don't know, I probably got this from someone else, but if you're reading the Gospels, if you're reading Acts, or if you're reading those types of narratives in the Old Covenant, think about yourself as a movie director. And if you were going to do this scene, what would you make it look like? You know, and my Jesus always kind of looks at people before he talks. And I think it just melts them. There's just something about who he is. That's, that's my Jesus. You can have another Jesus if you want. But, but that's my movie. You know, it's more than just 
the words themselves. It's more than just that they're really good quality. It's the fact that just who he is. There's just something about him, you know. Um, and you see that by the way he interacts with people. Um, and that usually comes to people who are seeking him. Uh, those who don't, it doesn't work out too well. So there's thousands of teachers in history. Well, what's so special about him? Well, here's a few things. And we see this, we'll see this in the Sermon on the Mount and we'll look at a few scriptures. He has somehow assumed the right to teach about absolute truth. This dude thought he was right. You get that once in a while. It's like, you guys up there in the free church think you're right. And I'm like, well, duh. Why the heck would it be teaching? We thought we were wrong. We'd be somewhere else, you know. It doesn't mean, there's a lot of churches in town. We have very, very similar basic beliefs. And that's wonderful. We're all the same team. Um, uh, just maybe a little bit different the way we worship or the way we were working out. But we're all uh, working for the same Lord, as they say. But, his message wasn't just Jewish, even though he was a Jew, and knowing Jewish culture in the first century is very helpful to understand what he's saying. But it wasn't merely cultural, it was universal. You know, we can read the Sermon on the Mount, and it means something to us today, 2022, June 19th, I think. Is that right? It's not the 20th yet, is it? Yeah. Well, I got a lot. Uh, 19th, yeah. So this is part of, he claims the right to determine who is blessed and who is not. That's how, the, that's how the whole thing starts. Blessed are those who, you know, mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we talked about how that kind of gives us the whole gospel there, if you look at that. You have to look at the fact that you are guilty, grab onto the grace, and then have that gratitude that you live with. But he thought he had the way who's blessed, who's not, who is on the way to life and who is on the way, he's the one that tells you if you're going to de destroy it or have life. He's a, taking this authority. He claimed the right over each person's conscience. You know, that's, that's something. He, he, as you go into the Gospels, he's, all, he's even able to tell how people think. You ever thought about that? And I'm, I think there's a Gilligan's Island episode that this happens, which you can learn a lot from Gilligan's Island. It's not biblical theology, but uh, you guys, any, the older, if you're younger, Google it. Um, it's probably on YouTube. Uh, there's a guy named Gilligan, and there's an island. <laughs> but, but in there, they get some seeds, or seven of them, and they can read each other's minds. It doesn't go well. You ever think about that? Think about your family. If, if to, that you, you can read each other's minds the rest of the day. Do you want that? I, I do for a minute. Until either you think something that I don't want to hear or uh, I think something that I probably shouldn't. You know, and that, so again, but Jesus was able to do that, you know, and he does that now. Uh, uh, you know, he shows that sometimes. And so he also took the right to legislate for the kingdom of God. And we see this all just in the Sermon on the Mount. And he demanded obedience. That's different, isn't it? This isn't just some teacher. This is, this is a, a, a rabbi, a person that he's demanding obedience. Well, who demands obedience in the Old Covenant? Yahweh. You know, there's deity claims throughout this. You know, people say, only John has deity. Well, that's, you aren't reading the text very close. You don't have to believe it if you don't want, but he makes these claims. So he didn't speak like the scribes. The scribes spoke, spoke by authority. You know, they knew the stuff, kind of like maybe I do. It's like, well, I studied the stuff, 
you know, hopefully you know it pretty well. Um, Jesus spoke with authority. He just, he didn't always quote stuff. He just comes up with new quotes. And he didn't really speak like the prophets, even though he had a prophetic role. Both claimed to be speaking God's words, but the prophets spoke, they say, the Lord says. Jesus never used that term. Instead, he says, truly, I say to you. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount alone. You know, we don't see this. That's why we're doing the summary. We don't see it as we read through it sometimes. So, again, you go back to Matthew 9. This is a time when he reads the minds. Uh, if you read earlier, especially in Mark's count in chapter 2, this is the paralytic. Um, he discerns in, in his mind what they're thinking in their hearts. That's a pretty good trick, isn't it? Um, and he knows they don't like it. If you remember the guy in Mark's version gives us more, they actually take the roof apart, you know, and bring him down. It's kind of a cool, I remember coloring this as a kid, you know, kind of cool. Um, they go through the roof. Uh, if, you've, if you've followed the, and if, if you haven't, I, I think it's a good thing maybe to try the chosen that's out there that's about Jesus' life. They're making uh, some episodes. They have this kind of how it all works. But, but he comes through and, and you think, so you got this guy, you got the four guys because they believe, it looks like in Jesus, they bring their friend who cannot walk, who, who's paralyzed, on the mat in front of Jesus. And what was the first thing you, what do you think they're bringing him for? You know, lemonade? No. Healing. Duh. And what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> and I could almost imagine, my, I've got my movie going now. You've got to close your eyes. Do like this. But, you know, I'm wondering what the guy's thinking. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I think probably more than we know. It probably was more of a spiritual experience than we give it. But, but they get mad. They think, in their, well, only God has the power to forgive sins. And they're right. But what does Jesus say? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he's saying, I'm going to show you something to validate that I have this power to get forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. That's an interesting word. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. They're afraid. You know, we can probably have a whole sermon on that, but it's Father's Day. I'll try to get you out early. Uh, we'll see how that works. And then you get the authority. We, we had this with the kids. It's before the Great Commission, you know, to baptize and make disciples, teaching them everything I have commanded you. He comes and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That is a really arrogant statement if it's not true. What if I said that to you? You better darn well fire me on the spot. Because there's only one that has that. Yeah, that's a, that would be a Messiah complex. They have rubber rooms for people who think they can do that. That's not. But Jesus was always, always on top of it intellectually. He was always there. The things he said people believed because of his, his person. Alfred Plummer passed away a long time ago, a good theologian, says he stood forth as a legislator, not a commentator, and commanded and prohibited and repealed and promised on his own bare word. Nobody else has done that in the Bible. It's very cool. 
He said, wise people are the ones that base their life on his words. And if you look in verse 24 of chapter 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine, so he's summing up the Sermon on the Mount, not the words I got from Yahweh, but everyone, even though it is Yahweh's words, why? Because he is Yahweh, you know. We got it, Trinity Sunday a couple weeks ago, right? Is anybody, and I'll give you the mic, I, if you want to give a good, quick theological summary of the Trinity. Yeah, I don't even want to do it. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's hard, right? The Trinity's tough. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, one one essence, but three sitters of consciousness, you know, and we try to come up with all these analogies of shamrocks and Bunsen burner ice stuff and all that, and we always just mess it up. Because, well, think about it. Is there an analogy of the eternal God that's going to work all the time? But here's a, here's a little pointer for you. It's not hard. You probably already thought of it, but didn't know it. <laughs> Why do we believe in the Trinity? Well, you could say because it's revealed in, in Scripture. But who pushes the Trinity on us? It's Jesus. If you want to try to explain the Trinity, start with him. If he's not God, then there is no Trinity. If he is, we at least got a Benedict going, and then you get the Holy Spirit in there too. So just start with Jesus. And if people say, well, I don't, I don't completely understand, and it's like, bingo. You don't. You don't completely understand, but do you, un do you at least comprehend what's been there? So that's, it's his words. Think about this too in John 10. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So the only reason he got crucified is because he allowed it. He didn't get tricked, and the Gospels put that out pretty clear. So that's his authority as teacher. He's different than any other teacher. Now Gandhi saw that. He just didn't go the rest of the way. Because I can give you information and all the information you need, but if the Holy Spirit's not working in your heart, that subjective person-to-person, -person, it, it won't. the change won't fall in the meter for you. I think the raising of Lazarus is the perfect one. Remember John 11? It's really cool. I'm the resurrection of life. You got Mary. She's kind of upset. Martha's kind of figuring it out and says some really cool things. And both these women very close to Jesus and obviously Lazarus too. But he raises Lazarus, and you get two very, very different responses to that. You got people running around praising God because of Jesus and want to follow him and just, oh, this is wonderful. And then you got some leaders that get together and want to kill him. They both saw the same thing. What's the difference? It's what's in the heart. Yeah. I have in my past given, I think, a pretty darn good gospel presentation on an airplane. Well, not in front of everybody, but, you know, next to the seat. And that just fell on deaf ears. I'm like, this is pretty good. Nothing. And I've said something that wasn't all that great. Not that, you know, we want to do good. But it just hit. And the person starts asking questions. What's the difference? It's where they are. It's how God's working. You know, as they, I think that person was kind of, as they say, low-hanging fruit. The other person wasn't a fruit of any kind at that point. And so, and, and again, if you do that, if you have time, people in your family, friends, whoever that you're kind of trying to take some time with and say why Jesus is important and why should he, he should be important to you, 
when you do that, you, you have to think through, you can't change their heart, but you are asked to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And we can all do that, right? I mean, think about it. If it's Father's Day, I don't know where you're going to eat or whatever. But if you, if you went to a restaurant today and somebody walked up to you and said, did you go to worship today? Yeah, I did. Where'd you go? Uh, Grace Church up on the hill. Did you tell me more about Jesus? Did you say, well, no, I'm kind of eating my tenderloin here. I mean, that's what we all want, right? And that's all we're really asked to do. If you feel led to go on a corner with a soapbox, so be it. But just be ready. And then, you know, maybe pray for time, you know, to do it. But again, it's that spi- that's why there's di- Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. People, again, they see his authority, but how the response is all based on where's their heart and how is the Spirit working in their heart. So that's his authority as a teacher. So we'll, we'll sum up here with his, his authority as judge. We don't like this one as much. Um, don't like anybody getting judgy. But the whole Sermon on the Mount is preached against the backdrop of impending judgment. The whole chapter 7, we've got two ways. You know, if you remember that. You've got a a path that's hard and a path that's easy. And the third way is there is no third way. (laughs) Jesus never has a third way. Perfect mathematics here. Zeros and ones. Jesus is very binary. Zeros and ones. There's two gates. There's a wide gate. There's a narrow gate. There's no kind of Goldilocks, medium, just right gate. You know, well, there's a just right gate. That's a narrow one. (laughs) There's two crowds, you know, the big crowd and the few crowd and all those type of things. And there's two destinations, the road to destruction and the road to life. So, and we're seeing when, who is the judge? He, He makes the judgment. Did you know? You probably didn't. Maybe you did. Um, This is exactly the teaching in Islam. I've met Muslims that have a higher view of Jesus than some Christians. Now, they don't believe he died on a cross, which I think is a big difference. (laughs) And I'm not saying we just, you know, well, we're all the same because we're not. Um, uh, Well, just logically, either they're right or we're right. We both can't be right, you know. And as I said before, we think we're right, you know. And really, why? Because we think Jesus said it. I mean, do that when you talk to people. It's like, don't, don't have them argue with you. Have them argue with him because he wins all the time. He is smart. You notice that? Remember the coin thing? Had him trapped. Is it rightful to give taxes to Caesar? He smacks them pretty good, doesn't he? It, it uh, takes the coin. You know, it's so cool because he says, whose image is on the coin? And what do they say? Well, Caesar's. And then what does he say? You know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And he's, he's implying something there, isn't he? Whose image is on the coin? It's a coin. It's Caesar's. I think he's at whose image is on you? And whose image were you made? Well, maybe you need to give God to what is God. You know, so, but he's always so smart. And he, but he is the judge. Who is the judge? And we see this in just a little before where we were there in 22 and 23. Look at this. And I've underlined all this. On that day, this is the day of judgment. It's called the day of the Lord in the prophets. That's a judgment day. We'll talk about that right at the end. On that day, many will say to me, not Yahweh, not somebody, some bearded guy up in the clouds or whatever we want to call it, me. 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did you grab that? Whose name did the prophets prophesy in? Yahweh. Whose name is Jesus saying you to prophesy in? Jesus. Hmm. Might be some correlation there. And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? You seeing the consistency here? And then I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Our eternal destination, Jesus says, is all dependent on how we treat him. And when you die, does he know you? That's the key. And he's going to know you if you follow him. He said, oh, yeah, I know you. Yeah, that's, and it's not, remember we talked about that no word. It's not like, yeah, hello, my name is, you know. It's not that kind of knowing. Or, yeah, you know that guy who lives down on 4th Avenue South? or You know, that's, that's knowing. We're talking about intimate knowing, knowledge, relationship going on. And then John 5 is very clear about judging. For the Father judges no one. So how many people does the Father judge? But Islam has this. He, he's going to be the judge that comes. So it's a good interconnect. Got to do this in Austin a little bit. You talk to Muslims. They believe that Jesus, Isa, they call him. He's the judge. What we try to do is get him. He's more than that. He's more than that. He's going to come to judge. And he's perfect in Islam. Muhammad is not. It's pretty cool. You know, so you've got some, but judge. And they get it out of the New Testament. They just kind of pick and choose like we do sometimes. But he's given all judgment to the son. He's the one that does that. Yeah, I saw a couple smirks there. I'm, you try not to pick and choose, right? Yeah. How many people read Lamentations this morning? Kind of a downer. <laughs> but it's in there. Yeah. They didn't call Jeremiah the weeping prophet because he was really joyful all the time, you know. But but the judgment is given to the son. So again, he's not just teacher, he's also judge. And we see this as we go through the the God, the, the, the epistles, the didactic teaching of, of Paul and others in Second Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, if you don't read the rest of that, that could sound like it's works righteousness, right? But if you read the rest of that, he's saying that if you follow Christ, it should look like you've repented. Because what do you do in your life when you sin? You repent, right? You, you confess. That's part of the righteousness, right? Now, I think I've, we've said this before. You should know it by now. John Calvin, you know, great reformer from originally from France, but eventually into Switzerland in the, in the 16th century, started what we call Reformed Churches. They ask him, how do I know that I'm saved? And I love his answer. It's not the only answer you could give. Do you feel guilty when you sin? Well, that's a pretty good one. And then what do you do with it? That's... Because if you're not, there's no Holy Spirit convicting you of that. In 2 Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Again, judgment. That is all through. He's the one that's going to do it. He's going to be, you can read Revelation if you want another picture of that. Um, and then Romans 2, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. I remember my grandmother telling me, never do anything or act in any way 
or treat people in any way that you wouldn't want to do or act if Jesus was right beside you. And as a kid, you're like, oh, man, I can't do anything. But th- th- that's true. Is that, Do we think that if Jesus wasn't right beside us that somehow God doesn't know? It is uh, interesting, isn't it? Uh, we, we try to, we can hide things from other people, but we can't hide from God. And one of the questions you can ask yourself maybe at the end of the day, do I want to hide from God or am I kind of glad he's here? And what do you do if you want to hide from him? You probably got something you need to deal with, right? You know, might be good to repent, to confess. There's John 1, 9 if you want to go there. Um, the idea of, you know, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and to, to cast us out from all unrighteousness. You know, that's why we're seen that way. So it's really cool that this great teacher who is judge is also the one that hung on a cross to give you the solution. You know, again, you've got that, and we'll talk about Elizabeth next week. Do you want, Jesus is, again, binary. He's one of two things to each one of you and each person in this world that's ever lived. He's either your judge or he's your savior. Which one do you want? You know, it's the idea of if he's your judge, then, you know, I don't know if I'd start my prayers with Father. I would just start with, I don't know what, I, I probably wouldn't even pray. <laughs> But we can say Father because he's our Savior and that he, he allows that. So this great teacher from Nazareth sets himself up as a central figure on Judgment Day. So think about this, and, and, and we'll, we'll end with this. You know, we, There's a lot of talk about the second coming. Um, I was a math major, and I, I've done the calculations, and I've, I'm pretty sure that I have no idea when he's coming back. And and you gotta be careful with that. I mean, I guess logically you could say, I suppose today is closer to his second coming than yesterday was. Um, you know, and you know, you've heard their songs. We've sung them. You know, Are you ready? You know, it's just like that's what you want to know. Uh, are, are we ready? His second coming, but his first coming was for offering grace to people. You know, we know John 3.16, right? This is how God showed his love for the world. He gave his only son and whoever believes in him. And this is a belief of, of not just knowing that he exists, but following him. Uh, shall not perish, back to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but have eternal life. And, and then the next verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the plan. This is the way he did. The first coming is for grace. Because if it wasn't, we'd all be gone. That's a theological term. You just, it's, I mean, that'd be it, right? You've heard this as a pastorism. I'm not a big fan of it. You've heard this, well, God can't tolerate sin. I think he can. <laughs> Eventually he won't. You know, then you get, which is another theological term. That's just, gone. You're gone. He can tolerate sin. That, you know, Jesus tolerated it. You don't like it, but that's what he came for. But think about it, That's what he came for, grace, and it still goes on. You get that in the epistles. It's like, why is he tarrying in First Peter? Why is he taking so long to come so more people can believe? 
So that's, what he, that's one of the main reasons. So the first coming is for grace. Without that, we're all lost, right? But what about the second coming? That's for judgment. It's all over. There's nothing in the biblical text that says the second coming. He's going to set up and just kind of say, well, let's give you another shot. Now, he could do that, right? He just hasn't told us that. I've heard people say that. Um, there's some that teach that, you know, when you die, if you don't believe in Jesus, that you'll get another shot. You know, kind of a second chance theology. Um, you know, maybe he will. I just, he didn't teach that. You've got plenty of verses. That it seems like when he comes the second time, all, everything's over. And if you don't like that, it's like, Take it up with him. I didn't come up with this stuff. You can, you know, it's the idea that don't teach what he didn't teach. And if God wants to, in his mercy, do something different, that's certainly up to him. He can do what he wants. But don't, don't we, we can't teach the falsehood. And this is kind of Matthew 25, which is this great Olivet discourse that starts in, sounds like a deep theological point, 24. Um, but it's, it's really good to read. There, there, there's your assignment. Read 24 and 25 of Matthew. Very interesting. I think that would be about 152 sermons if we did that. That's, whole, that's really a lot of deep stuff there. A um, lot about, is he talking about coming to destroy the temple? Is he talking about second coming? It's kind of hard to know. But this is where he ends at the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, we're talking about second coming here, nobody debates this. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And so really when we think about Father's Day today, and again, thank you fathers for being here. It's good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know, another binary choice, right? You want to be a sheep or a goat? There's no caribou or anything here, right? It's just sheep and goat. And the sheep are the one that know his voice, John 10, and the goats are the one who's rejected him. So we always want to, have I accepted him? Do I, am I assured that I know who he is? Am I taking this great teacher, le learning who he is? We'll look at that in the next few weeks too. And allowing him to take us by the hand and assure us of the promises that he has so we don't ultimately have him as a judge. We have him as a savior that sees us as righteous and blameless because of accepting his sacrifice. Let us pray. Father, we know uh, this teaching is easy on one hand and hard on the other, but it's so clear that Jesus is your son in these teachings. He's the teacher. He's the judge. Uh, for each one here as we go into this day, into this week, into this year, may we always just put Jesus at the center of, of who we are, who we trust, and uh, who we follow. We pray in his name. Amen.